met Jeff before he finished college, just, that was like seven years ago. And uh, uh, I know his family. I performed his sister's wedding. So we've, we've got deep history. Jeff was the second leader of the Antioch Discipleship School. The first leader was Jimmy Seibert, who's leading our movement. And so Jeff has had impact on men and women who serve all over the world. Powerful years. You know, I was just thinking, you know, you're a, you're a thousand watt bulb, Jeff. You, you shine powerfully. And... Um, Met this girl. She was dropping hankies somewhere, and uh, you picked up one of those hankies. And uh, you all got married in 2003. They have four gorgeous kids. And Jeff came with the initial team here in 98 and served as associate pastor up to 2011. And when we planted, when Sean and uh, Laura and and team planted our church in Waltham. Jeff became the pastor here. And Jeff and Sarah led our church uh, for the next five years and poured your lives out in amazing ways. I mean, anybody around you knows that they are loved by Jesus and by you. Jeff is a phenomenal evangelist. Someone say amen. amen. You know, uh, I... I was telling him, my, my, my first memories of in Boston were going to stop and shop and Jeff having conversations in three different languages with people that worked there. That, that you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't a stranger. It was someone that he'd built a relationship with every time he'd gone into the store, interacting with different people. So now they're living in San Diego and Jeff and Sarah are actually leading uh, as family's pastor. Jeff's the church planting school director there, and every story that I hear, it's like they are in a place where their lives are having more and more impact again in this season. So uh, they set a standard for grace and humility in every part of the transition in the life of this church. So uh, every conversation that I, I have with Jeff before, during, and after, it's like, I want to see this church blessed and prosper. And uh, your, your grace is, is a huge thing, Jeff. So this is our first time back in Boston in a couple of years. And uh, we're just delighted to have you. And, and we did something a little funny. We changed the name of the church while you were gone. So uh, you each get... A brand new Antioch Brighton T-shirt to wear proudly all over San Diego. I love it. I love it. And I'd, I'd like a couple of the elders to it come up. It does. That's good. Good style. I'm trying to figure that out, what that means, but that's good, Jeff. Okay. Come to the elders. Uh, <laughs> join me in praying for these guys. Lord, thank you, and it's, a, a, again, an honor to be with Jeff and Sarah, and we are asking you to soak them with everything they're doing. Bless their kids, Lord. This, this life that you've given them is, is being poured out everywhere they're going. We're asking, give us another dose of it, Lord, today. This, the, the fresh grace that you have for them, pour out again. Give them anointing for this moment. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You love them? Awesome. It is? Yes. It's so good to be here. You guys look good out there. It's funny being back in Boston because I'm, I'm always, you know, I like to connect with people and I'm, I'm always like, you've got a Red Sox hat on, you know? I'm like, I live in Boston, you know? So it's kind of a weird feeling. You know, there's a, Darion has a Patriots shirt on and I'm, 
excited about it, but uh, I don't get to see much of that where I am in, in uh, San Diego. It's rough weather. <laughs> no, it's not. It's so very good to be here today, and I can't think of you having anyone better than me as lead pastor when I was, but I can't think of you and Sean when he was here, but I can't think of you having anyone better than Mark and Susan at this time. And um, Mark, amen, Mark uh, and Susan had such a, an impactful uh, um, influence on my life. I can't even explain. When I was a young buck, I had brown hair. That's how long ago it was. And um, I was a college student, and I came in, and Mark and Susan, but mainly as Mark was sharing, leading the college group I was a part of, I began to taste and get a hold of some things. I just had no idea the church was so alive, so ready to take the nations. And and Mark, so instrumental in Jimmy Seibert, uh, and went with Mark to go and, uh, uh, and present the vision of what's going on with Antioch Worldwide. So I honor Mark and Susan, so grateful for them, and I am so assured that you have the right pastor and pastors here to lead you. So excited. Love you, and I'm enjoying being here. It is fantastic to be back with you. I see faces of people I recognize, and it makes me happy. And I see faces of people I don't recognize, and that makes me happy too because that means I've got members of my family that I haven't met yet. And so I want to say welcome home. Welcome home here to Antioch Brighton, to this wonderful group of people. As uh, I think Mark explained, I'm on staff at, Annie, uh, at All People's Church in uh, San Diego. And uh, as we moved from here two and a half years ago, we, were, we went on a sabbatical. You guys graciously paid for that. Thank you. <coughs> the church. Uh, and God gave us a good time and, and settled us in San Diego with, with just another part of our family. Uh, your family loves you in San Diego. All People's Church is a part of the Antioch movement. Um, and uh, it is wonderful to be the family's pastor and be the uh, church planning school director. But it's all the same heart. I just, I love that wherever we go around the world with our larger Antioch family, uh, that we we are truly more than uh, just an organization. We are a people bound together in God's love and in God's grace. So I've been honored to be a part of this tribe for 28 years. I said before, you know, too many people have forgiven me, and I've forgiven too many people to choose another organization and tribe to be a part of. So, you know. <clears throat> There's some truth to that statement, but... Uh, it is so fantastic to be here, and I feel nothing but love for you, I feel nothing but love for the leadership, nothing but thankfulness for the way God has led my wife and I. Um, wow. And um, let's hear it again for my wife. She is amazing. So um, I thought I'd kind of start out today with a funny for you. <clears throat> There was uh, a police officer ended up pulling over a woman who was uh, driving recklessly. He pulled her over, and he comes up to the side of her car, and he looks in the car, and he sees a jug beside her. And the police officer says, lady, what is that in the jug? What do you have there in the jug there? And she says, oh, officer, that's my drinking water. He says, okay. He does a little further inspection. And he, you know, gets the jug out. He looks at it and he says, lady, this is wine. And she says, well, hallelujah, he did it again. (laughs) All right. Hallelujah. You know, we're an unlikely people that God has called, (laughs) and we are uh, uh, being prepared in an unpredictable way, but we must understand that God is preparing us in a way to have tremendous influence 
earth-altering influence upon our city of Boston, uh, apart, upon uh, this uh, region of New England, and upon the nations of the earth. You know, um, I'm going to talk today about the fact that I believe at a new level the time has arrived. It is time for Antioch Brighton, Antioch New England to shine. It is really time. It's not that we haven't shined, but I really do believe that there is a time God has for us. And I want to look a little bit today at how God calls us, who the people that God calls to be those influencers to shine for him, and we want to look at how a little bit how God prepares those he's called to influence, and then we want to just glory and say, let's go shine for Jesus. Anybody ready? Okay, good. I am too. Well, the church is called to be the chief influencing agent on the earth. It's not a political party. It's not a government. It is not um, the Illuminati, whatever people would think. I don't think that's real. I'm not sure. But it's not any other organization or people or, or government. It is the church that God has called to be the premier agent of influence. Aren't you excited to be a part of the church? There's nothing else. Jesus, through the local church, is the hope of the world. Nothing else is the hope of the world. Jesus, through the local church, through his church, is the hope of the world. And um, so everyone, individually, God's preparing us, and corporately, God is preparing us to be a people of influence. Anybody want to be that in the Lord? you got to know who created you. The chief influencer of the entire universe created you, and he created you in his image to be one who... uh, transforms the lives around them. You see, God has intended for us to exert influence in a way that brings his name glory and other people good. Here's what we want to make sure we understand. Wherever God is minimized, it's bad for people. Wherever God is taken lightly, it ends up really bad on people. But wherever God is glorified, wherever he is magnified, wherever he is lifted high, it is really good for Boston. It is really good for Boston that you guys are Uh, And we are worshiping the Lord this morning in spirit and in truth. It is making the way for people to know and understand the love of Jesus. So we are called to be influencers individually, but God has called this group of individuals together corporately as the church to influence. And um, we're going to talk a little bit. You know, being an influencer, as I said, is not about the position you hold. But it is about bringing God's presence and power upon those that you are around. That when you show up, Emmanuel, God is with you. But the, it is when, when we show up as a people and the people of this earth begin to say, as Jacob did in the desert, fleeing from his brother Esau, surely God is in this place and I was unaware of it. Surely God, God is in this place. And I was unaware of it. Down the street, when you go to lunch this afternoon, the people would say, surely God is in this city. I was not aware of it. But they they would realize that the gate of heaven through the local church, a portal of his presence is coming on this city. Anyway, let me just go through really simply who God would choose to influence. Let's look at it real quick. We're going to look at the book of Judges. Anybody like the book of Judges? It's a pretty good one. Well, where is Judges in the the kind of chronology of the Bible? Well, Judges is immediately following the conquest when God promised the promised land to the people of Israel. They went in and uh, Moses brought them to the edge of the promised land. But then Joshua has just led them into the promised land and they possessed it. Uh, over a course of time. Judges is the time immediately following that, before the kingship, and it was a time uh, basically where the scripture says where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Not a very, uh, not a very good time per se, but a time where God um, brought about a group of judges, otherwise known as leaders, uh, major influencers to bring deliverance to God's people. And so a cycle would go that God's people uh, would uh, disobey him 
and begin worshiping other gods and doing things like that, then they would get into a cycle of bondage from one of the um, countries or uh, peoples that were around them. Let's say, you know, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Philistines. You may have different ones. Just choose your oppressor. They had them all around. And then they would repent of their sin. And they would recognize in their bondage, we have done wrong. We have sinned. We repent. And then God would send a judge. God would send a deliverer uh, from a different part of Israel, oftentimes, all kinds of different places, to bring people to deliverance. And this is the period we're looking at. So who did God choose to be these judges? I hope this encourages you as it has encouraged me. Let's look at the first judge here. Not, uh, not the first one, but the first one we're going to look at. Ehud. Everybody say Ehud. He stabbed a guy named Eglon in the belly, which I think is an interesting story. It's one of the grossest stories in the Bible because it, I won't go into it. You can read it. Judges chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see the cycle? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, God gave, well, person of choice, Eglon, king of Moab, to power over Israel, getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon of Moab for 18 years. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, a man who would influence Israel for good, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Well, God chose Ehud a left-handed man. Anybody out there left-handed? Glory, hallelujah, I'm a lefty. Left-handers are the only ones in their right mind. Because the brain, I was always told that, I don't know. But, <clears throat> but you see, in Ehud's day, being left-handed was a disgrace. Being left-handed was not a good thing. Uh, let's just think about it for a second. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, not the left hand of God. Uh, the left hand was used in Ehud's day as uh, the instrument to ca- take care of your business, if you know what I'm saying. After you went to the restroom, the left hand was used. It was, it was not a very um, uh, favorable thing in that day and age to be a left-hander. But do you know what? God looked down and he said, Ehud's my man. He might have been ashamed about this area of his life, his whole life. But I'm not ashamed of Ehud. He has a heart for me. I choose Ehud. Let's look again at who else. Any left-handers out there encouraged? It's not such a disgrace today, although I wish people would be more sensitive to our needs. Jimmy's left-handed, by the way, just a side note. How about Deborah? All right, Judges 4, 1 through 5. Again, the Israelites did evil. You see a pattern here? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Ehud was dead. That means he was dead. Uh, So the Lord said, uh, sent them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapida, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. God uses, uh, uses this woman, Deborah, and a guy, interestingly enough, by the name Barak, Uh, to deliver Israel at that time. What's wrong with the picture here in the natural for Deborah? Think about when she lived. What was the season? (laughs) What was the epoch of time that she lived in? Women did not have rights, but women were um, not citizens of equal, equal standing along with men. Women did not inherit property. Women, women uh, were, were actually uh, not treated well at times. And if you look at some of the, the situations that they were in, the, the Israelites, the people of God, treated women better than the surrounding communities. God was progressively leading these women to freedom. But still, women didn't have a great plight. But God said, Deborah's my woman. 
She's going to lead Israel. She's going to be my influencer. She's going to be my deliverer. See, what God did is what he's been doing from the beginning. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the face of the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. Deborah's dad might or might not have believed in her. Those around Deborah might or might not have believed in her, but God believed her. And that's really what's important for you today. God believes in you. He's looking at your heart. He's saying, what is your heart? If you give your whole heart to me, I give all my power and provision to you. So God looked down and he chose Deborah. Well, that's fine, Jeff. But I'm not a woman or I'm a woman now. Well, let's look at someone else. Gideon. Old Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, 11 through 16. The Israelites again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves on the mountain uh, clefts and the caves and the stronghold. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Uh, so anyway, I won't go into this whole uh, piece of scripture, but one thing, the, the angel appears and says, hey, uh, Gideon, you're mighty, go and deliver my people. And Gideon says, what? Here's what Gideon says. Gideon says, pardon me, Lord, that God ever called you. And you said, pardon me, Lord, let me inform you who I am and what my background is and what my situation is. You, got a, you made a mistake, Lord. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. (laughs) God looks at your background, and he says, I will take you. I will use you as an instrument of my glory and my provision. It doesn't matter if you felt like the least Uh, It doesn't matter if you felt overlooked. I say to you, Gideon, you're my man. And I can tell you, if there's one thing that's vitally important, if you see it with all the leaders, women and men of God in the Bible, throughout the history of the Bible, it says oftentimes as you read their stories, and God was with them. That's the important issue. It's not your background. It's not your pedigree. It's God is with you. How does God come to you? Obviously, God is with you in his presence, wooing you to himself all the time. But to him or her who is humble and contrite and who trembles at God's word, he says he draws near to that person. Praise his name, Gideon. Well, let's look at Jephthah, Judges 11, 1 through 8. We're going to go, whew, let's move forward. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Judges 11, his father was Gilead. His mother was a, uh-oh, prostitute. Well, don't have time to read through that entire uh, passage, but later his, the Israelites, they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. God, they call out to God. God brings Jephthah back. But Jephthah was a half-Israelite and a son of a prostitute. He was counted out for leadership in the world's eyes as far as Israel was concerned. But God said, you, Jephthah, are my man. I know the pain you've gone through in your life. I know the rejection when your brothers drove you away. I know what you felt, but I say, Jephthah, I see something in you. I see a seed in you that has a heart after me, and I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. What distinguished these people was not their background. What distinguished these people was their heart for God somewhere that God saw and the presence of God. God was with them. He used them. So we see from looking at this book of Judges, I hope by this short look, that God chooses unlikely and imperfect people to become people of influence. When we first moved here to Boston, we were a motley crew. I mean, motley, not the band, but uh, we were as motley as they are. We had many, many issues. The team that was sent to Boston in 1998, uh, when we walked into town, when we first moved here, um, let me see, of our team, we had people who were having a crisis of faith, very much so, who had dealt with... um, Um, losing uh, a child, Uh, people who were dealing with insecurity, loneliness. Personally, I was still, it had been a year earlier, but I was coming out of a period of uh, a failed church plant in in, uh, Europe uh, where I had been so depressed, I was clinically depressed, hospitalized, without my shoelaces, 
totally destitute for two weeks, sleeping all the time. But God somehow looked at us, this motley crew. He said, you know what? You guys have a heart after me. Why don't we start something in Boston? Why don't we believe for something? You know, we had what you might call issues. We had issues coming out of our ears. But what we had more than anything else was a loving God that we called out to day by day, said, we believe you can do what no man can do. We are weak. You are strong. Praise his holy name. One thing we had as an initial team here and that I believe you have and I ask you to carry on is a heart after God and a call upon our lives to do the impossible in Jesus' name. That call... Okay, you can clap. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. Do you think God has forgotten his initial promise to us as a people? No way. He's saying it's time to shine. It's time. You've shown a little bit here, there. It's time to shine. Amen? Too many stories I can't even go into right now. God has called you from whatever background to have a profound influence on this world and bring deliverance to many. So the person who God calls, you can say this, whether you're high-born, low-born, whatever you consider that, whatever your socioeconomic background, whatever your, your racial background, whatever your gender, whatever this, God says, is your heart after me. If you have a heart after me, I'll get behind it, and I will do something amazing in your day. So how do we become a godly influencer? God calls us. How do we become? Well, God has a plan for each of you today, and I pray that he gives you a taste of it in a new way. God has a plan for a wonderful destiny of influence. But how you grow in that influence is often different than you might think. God has a, has a, I really do believe today God's going to put in different hearts a vision for the influence and for the light of your life that wants to transform your community uh, and your, your society. But he does it interestingly. Let's look at Genesis 37, 2, 3, 11 and see what Joseph in the Bible was promised. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his, brothers, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And uh, as we go down here, Joseph, verse 5, had a dream, and when it was told to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, this dream I had, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. (laughs) Oh, Joseph. (laughs) His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Then he had another dream, told his brothers, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down. When his father and mother heard this dream, I'll just uh, go on from here, they, his father kind of rebuked him and said, hey, are you going to rule over all of us? Now Joseph had a dream, and actually it turned out to be a very accurate dream from God, that Joseph was called amazingly, he ultimately became the second in command of all Egypt, bringing deliverance to his family, bringing deliverance to Uh, entire communities of people. He was a deliverer, an influential man for God. Now, I bet Joseph was feeling pretty darn good after he got these dreams, other than his brothers hating him, which should have given him a little clue about his heart at that time as a young man. He was 17. Let's give him a little grace on it. He was amazing the way he responded to God. But he was probably feeling pretty good, right? But I'm going to tell you this. You can be excited about a dream, and God wants you to be excited. But the way God prepares you to be that influence is not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be this linear Western mindset of I do this and this and this and this, you know. God loves me and I have the perfect plan for my life, you know. No, it's not going to work that way. God often works and prepares us individually and as a people in an unpredictable way, right? Unlikely people chosen by God to be influencers in an unpredictable way or be trained by him in an unpredictable way. Let's look at a few of the ways that he was um, prepared. Joseph, you know, our, we would think, uh, you know, a great Bible class or, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you name it, a pre- preparation, you know, having uh, 
some guys um, that gather around him and say, great, great is Joseph the Great or whatever. I don't know what he felt like was going to be his training. Here was his training. He was betrayed by his brothers, Genesis 37, 12 through 35. He was sold into slavery, Genesis 37, 36. He was accused of doing wrong after walking in righteousness, Genesis 39, 6 through 19. He was thrown into prison, Genesis 39, 20 through 23. And he was forgotten in a very important way in prison by someone that he had helped. I can imagine Joseph feeling, God, I'm your man. What's going on? You see, (laughs) we... We don't want to be those who, in the midst of the process of God training us for the influence he's giving us, not realizing that he's working for us and not against us in the midst of all of these trials and all of these rejections and all of these things. He's calling you to be better, not bitter. You do not. I say this in all love. You do not have an excuse to be bitter. Now, you might feel bitter. You might be working through it. You might get up again and have to forgive someone. But we do not have an excuse to live our lives in bitterness. We have a bitterness from the Lord Jesus Christ who came down from heaven, died on the cross, rose again on our behalf, was, was accused in the most vicious way and, and died on our behalf. We do not have a right to do that. It does not mean we have not been victims of things it does not mean we have not experienced pain but we in our hearts and this is what joseph did throughout the course of his training he realized god can be trusted god can be trusted i can forgive i can release i can move forward and god's calling you to move forward some of you today god is calling you to move forward out of that place He's calling you to move forward. I am not minimizing your pain. I am not minimizing the hurt. There is literal betrayal. There is. Joseph experienced literal betrayal. He experienced literal accusation. But he kept his spirit clean. I'm certain he didn't feel very clean a lot. But let me just give you this quick illustration. As we're moving on. Karate Kid. Anybody ever watched Karate Kid? I'm not talking about Kung Fu Kid or whatever that thing Will Smith's did, brother, uh, son did. I'm talking about 1984. Karate Kid. Anybody? I wish I could do it. Well, let me tell you real quickly about this. This is the best illustration I can give you in the way God works in your life. A guy by the name of Daniel Russo. Uh, Daniel Russo. With his mom in New Jersey, little scrawny kid, little scrawny kid, he moved from New Jersey all the way to California. <laughs> Woo, that's good. He got to California, scrawny looking little Italian kid named Daniel LaRusso, and he goes to school, doesn't have any friends, and he starts hanging out with this cute blonde cheerleader girl that he realizes is the ex-girlfriend of the head of the football team, right, or the captain of the football team, right? So he starts, some friction starts happening, and um, he realizes that his enemy, Johnny, is a part of this uh, little, uh, is it a dojo? Is that what it's called? This little, I don't know what it's called, this little kung, kung or karate uh, 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 place uh, called Cobra Kai. And these guys were, you know, um, he realizes Johnny and his buddies were experts in karate. And uh, uh, um, Ralph Macho, what, what's his name? Daniel LaRusso. Uh, Daniel LaRusso was a scrappy kid, but he got his tail kicked. And he realized, I got to learn. But he doesn't have a way to learn karate because these other guys are in the karate class, you know, about your sensei stuff. And then, so he's around. <laughs> oh, God's good. Good to be with you. <clears throat> so he, um, he suddenly, all of a sudden, because some guys were picking on him, uh, Mr. Miyagi, anybody like Mr. Miyagi? Catch some flies for me, son. Uh, Mr. Miyagi comes, who is the uh, overseer of the grounds of his apartment building. He's like the, the uh, head guy taking care of the grounds there. He comes and kicks some major tail with karate. And Daniel's like, Whoa! And he says, you're, you're, you're the guy. You're going to help me. You're going to go. And he says, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi's like, no, I will not help you. And he's like, no, I'll catch some flies. And I don't know what all happened. But anyway, Mr. Miyagi finally says, okay, son, I will teach you karate. Okay, so they go for three days. Mr. Miyagi's going to teach him karate. So Daniel comes the first one. He says, meet me here early tomorrow morning. 
And so Daniel comes the first day, and Mr. Miyagi goes, brings, you know, like a paint, uh, a paint bucket and a paintbrush, and he says, uh, Daniel's son, Daniel's son, paint this fence, you know. And so Mr. Miyagi's got like a fishing pole or whatever. He just walks out the back. He's gone. Uh, and Daniel paints the fence. He goes, make sure you go up and down, up and down, up and down. And so Daniel's doing this, you know. And he goes all the way, and it's lunchtime, and Mr. Miyagi comes back. He's like, Mr. Miyagi, I'm done. He said, you didn't see that side of the fence, right? And so Mr. Miyagi takes off. He goes and eats sushi or something. I don't know what he's doing, but he's nowhere to be found. And Daniel is, is, paints the fence the whole rest of the day. Up, down. Next day, so Daniel's like, it's weird. I thought he was going to teach me karate. Okay, so the next day he says, meet me again, Daniel-san, the next day to come. And so Daniel comes early the next morning, Mr. Miyagi, you know, he has like a bonsai plant or something, he's about to go off and cut, and he says, daniel son, I want you to wax my cars, you know, and so he goes, I want you to wax on, everybody do it with me, wax on, wax off, right, and so Daniel's going, okay, what are you talking about, man, so Daniel, Mr. Miyagi's gone all day, Daniel is waxing, wiping, washing, and, and he barely gets a thank you. At the end of the day, Mr. Miyagi's like, okay, meet me tomorrow. And Daniel's like, it's starting to boil here. He's like, oh, man, I asked this guy to teach me karate. The next day he comes, and uh, he's like, okay, maybe we'll finally get into some, something. And Mr. Miyagi comes, and he goes, <clears throat> daniel son, I want you to sand my deck, right? And I don't remember what kind of motion he gives him, but... You know, I don't know what motion, but he says, send my deck. And so he gives him a particular motion, how he's supposed to send the deck. And so the whole day goes by, and Daniel sends the deck. Mr. Miyagi comes back, and Daniel is fit to be tied. It's an old phrase. Daniel wants to kick some booty, right? Daniel is not happy with Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi promised him he was going to teach him karate. And this, and all of a sudden, Daniel takes a swing at Mr. Miyagi, right? Or, I'm sorry, all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi takes a swing at Daniel, right? He comes in at him, and Daniel goes, and then he kicks at him again. He goes, and then he comes with his leg, and Daniel goes, whatever he's doing. Daniel does it, and all of a sudden, it hits him. Mr. Miyagi, through a series of unrelated, restrictive, and painful situations, was teaching me karate all along. The best way he could have ever taught me karate. And a lot of the time, most of the time, he seemed like he was nowhere and could not care less. That is how God works in your life. You feel... I don't understand why God has me in this restrictive situation. I don't know why God has done this. Why has God allowed this? Why am I in this? And let me ask you this. Are you in a situation that you've been through where you're feeling betrayed as Joseph did? Are you, in a situ- are you feeling that you're being restricted in an area of your life? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's school. I don't know. Do you feel that you're being falsely accused? Are you dealing with the monotony of what seems like boring assignments? Are you feeling like you've been forgotten? Any kind of different thing that Joseph went through or or something else, I just want to encourage you, God, through these seemingly unrelated, restrictive, and other kinds of assignments, is training you to be his person of influence. Don't miss the picture. Don't miss the picture of it. He can be trusted. God is training you. And you say, but somebody else did something to me that was violating. And God will take that and he'll kung fu kick that. Like nothing else. Yes, it was painful. But I tell you, there is nothing Satan can mess up that God can't bless up. Who's the all-powerful one on this earth? Who's the all-powerful one in your life? It is God. Not Satan or anything through another person that he intended toward your life. I'm not saying there were not wrongs. But I am saying God can and will right every wrong. If not here, he will in the future. He will in the future kingdom. Not one wrong will he not right. Praise his holy name. Don't give up. God is faithfully preparing you to be a major influence in the days to come as you trust him. Joseph avoided the pitfalls of bitterness, worldliness, and hopelessness through daily pursuit of God and relinquishing his right to understand the process. This is very dangerous for you and me. 
but I don't understand why God's allowing this. No, and you probably won't, but you need to trust him. It doesn't mean you can't ask him, (laughs) but we know. Wow. I just want to say one last thing, is that it's time to shine. It is time in our influence to shine for Jesus in this city. God is working in us individually to prepare us for our destiny, but also he's working in us as a people to be an influence. Matthew 5.14, the Passion Translation says this, You are the light of the world. A, a A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, let that influence that God's given you, let your light shine before others that they may see your good needs and glorify God the Father. When God's preparation of a person and a people meets the desperation of a place and people, his time has come. And I really do believe God has prepared us at Antioch and Brighton, Antioch and Waltham, Antioch and New England, and the body of Christ here as a whole, which we're working together with, to shine for the glory of God. I want to say that we shine by loving each other. John 13, 34, and 35 says, love one another. I remember a time in our church where a group of men... A man was going through a heavy social anxiety disorder. And there are some men in this church right now still that were there. And a group of men said, we're going to love one another. We went. He was in the Arbor, uh, the mental hospital, right down the way there in Brookline. And a group of men every night by twos went and visited him and prayed over him and reminded him of who he was. And I'm still friends with him today and he's living. And he's overcoming. That's the kind of loving of one another. You know what the people there at Arbor said numbers of years ago? They said, we've never seen anyone with more friends. Ever. We have people in this place, nobody ever comes and visits. But two men at a time, fasting and praying each day, and going and visiting him and speaking the truth and love. That's the kind of love that shines in our city. I challenge you in this church to love one another deeply from the heart in the days to come in a more profound way than you ever have. It'll be a beacon of light. How about doing good deeds? 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, in order to do good deeds, we can wing it sometimes, but it's good to prepare. In our San Diego where I live, we have a problem with homelessness like, wow, like, tent cities, you know, and and, uh, all of this, and you can't go very often without seeing someone asking. So we as a life group got together and made homeless packs. We did that. But because I was prepared, I was able to be with my children when we went through the drive-thru, and a woman came to our car asking us for something. We were able to give it, give a packet to her her of non-perishables and, you know, like uh, stuff that she could eat. And, and she, we were able to share the good news of Jesus and to invite her to church. She was a new woman in town. She was two months pregnant. And we, as my sons, I couldn't have changed it. I wouldn't change this for anything. My son saw her as she dug in the packet and began eating and said, was so incredibly grateful. But if we had not have prepared, God has given us as a church something to prepare for, some way to prepare to meet the needs of others. Do it spontaneously all the time. But God's going to give Antioch Brighton that. And uh, the last thing I want to say is in proclaiming the gospel. As the band, you can come on up. You know, bold proclamation of the gospel. Loving one another. (laughs) Good deeds and bold proclamation. I was, anybody been in Austin lately? Yeah. I like Austin. It's kind of eclectic, kind of interesting. But I was on Brighton Ave in Austin in a coffee shop a number of years ago. And there was a guy, you know, he, he had his guitar, and he was at an open mic. <laughs> and I'm with a buddy or two, and we're sitting down, and this guy gets the open mic. He has CDs of his songs. These are songs he's written. And he starts singing a group of songs, and this incredible epiphany comes to me. I'll give you some of his songs right now. <clears throat> his first song was this, My Dad, He Makes Real Good Pancakes. No, that was one of the songs. My dad, he makes real good pancakes. My dad, he makes real good pancakes. I'm like, is this guy for real? You know, blueberry, you know, pecan. But the next one, his, his next real big hit was I'm Unemployed. 
I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. And that's the kind of job that I enjoy. And an epiphany hit me. What in the world are we ashamed of? The world is excited about what it's excited about. We have the word of life. We have Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, to offer to people. And we sit around ashamed. Oh, Jesus. I pray that we would just be the people. We would just boldly proclaim. Hey, I'm a wimp at heart in my old self. (laughs) I want to avoid conflict in every single way. But God has given us grace. So I'm going to say this word. I want you to stand, and we're going to have a time for response. It is time. There's a word in the Russian language, which is a great word. As I've spent time in Russia, I learned Russian to some degree. I don't know that you're ever done with that. But there's a word that really gives a good description. And it's called para. Say that with me. Para. Say it again. Para. You're like, what are you making me say, Jeff? It's a very quick word which just says, it is time. The time has come. So, for example, if I was in somebody's room or I was at somebody's house, I'd say, Minye para iti. The time has arrived for me to go. Minye para iti. But para is the word for this church. And that's the word. It is time. It is time to shine. It is time. It is time. It is time for us as a people to see God rock this city for the glory of God. God's prepared us as a people over the last 20 years at Antioch and, uh, and He's been preparing in this city for us to, to be a major impact. And you know, I think and I have faith that you're going to find yourself doing the same things and seeing a greater measure of grace because I really do believe and want to release that. But for those of you who are on a spiritual journey, I want to invite you to pray and to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I read this scripture as we come to our response. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 says this. For he, God says, in the time of my favor I heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Para. It is time to get saved. To give your life to Jesus today. If you know you're willing to acknowledge that you've sinned and you've broken God's heart to turn away from that sin and to believe in Jesus who died on the cross to take your sin. I want you to pray after me. If that's you and you say, yes, today, I want to I follow Jesus. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need his forgiveness. I want to walk with him the rest of my life. Thank you, God, that you have made me. I acknowledge, I, I admit that I have sinned. broken your heart I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I believe in you Jesus who died for my sins on the cross and I choose to follow you Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior for the rest of my For the rest of you, I really want you to come forward. I want some of our life group leaders to be here, but I really feel for those of you dealing with betrayal, those of you who are dealing with bitterness, those of you who are dealing with feeling forgotten, who feel stuck in a situation, who feel uh, that they're in the, you're in the mundane of life and you just would like prayer that God would help to see you through. I want you just to come forward and I want to pray over you today. I want to pray for an extra measure of God's grace, an extra measure of His power. Just just right now, to those who admit their need, much grace is given. There's nothing to be ashamed of here. Just come forward if you need prayer. I'm going to pray over you. dealing with you, you felt betrayed and that just has stung you you've really felt forgotten you felt overlooked you're really feeling stuck God's grace is here for you today Jesus just 
Lord, I call out right now in your holy and precious name for each and every one here today. I'm believing in faith for those who've come and said, I am, I've been broken. I'm in a broken place. I'm in a place where I'm in a lot of pain. I, I don't know how to deal with, the, uh, with what's going on. I don't know exactly how to move forward. Lord, I'm praying right now for my brothers and for my sisters here today that you would pour out of your spirit in abundance, that you would bring healing to their hearts as they just right now where you are, just choose to forgive. Speak the forgiveness out over those that have wronged you. Right now, I just want to release a new measure of of freedom from bitterness, from anything that would hinder you. Thank you, Jesus. We just say it, Lord. We forgive them. I forgive them, Lord. Just say that I forgive this person. I, I release this to you, God. I don't want bitterness to be the defining characteristic of my life. I choose betterness, God. I believe you for that today. In the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Come, Lord. If you have uh, been dealing with sickness in your body, I've been reading through the Gospels. You can't read through them without seeing that Jesus is a healer, and He desires to do it today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just raise your hand if you have a need for physical healing. And I want just someone around you that is a a brother or sister of faith just to lay a hand on you and I'm going to pray that God would come and bring full healing today Lord I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that you would heal as no man as no woman as no person could heal Lord I just speak to the bodies that have been afflicted I speak to every affliction to be broken and every bit of healing and life to come I'm speaking to the weak knees to be strengthened I'm speaking to to, uh, spines to be made whole uh, to, to all sorts of, of systems in people's bodies, Lord, to be completely healed in the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for that healing today in Jesus' name. I just want us right now, as the band leads us in a song, I just want you now to just begin praying and calling out over our city right now and saying, Lord, we want to shine. We choose to shine for you, for your glory. Jesus' name. Let's worship Him with all of our hearts.